This evening's reading is from Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, which can be found on page 1096 in the Church Bible. And it's Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 31. (coughs) Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God For what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. 
I want to introduce somebody to you now, and I hope his picture is going to come up on the screen for us to look at. This is my friend Theodor Röger. He was the first Christian I met in a communist country in the first visit I made to his country in 1963. He was a pastor in East Berlin, and I got to know him very well and many of his colleagues in the several visits I made over 26 years until the collapse of communism in 1989. Communists believed that by starving Christians of support, they only needed to wait, and then that old-fashioned religious stuff would just die out and everyone would see the wonders of the Marxist philosopher, philosophy and the way it worked. Well, it didn't die. And it's not least because of the boldness of people like Theo and many others like him. Despite the hostility and the opposition of the authorities, they were people who, as they were able, spoke out for Jesus. One example I want to tell you about this evening. The visits that I made were not secret visits. I was there with official permission. And sometimes they went out of their way to show us the wonders of what their technology was able to achieve. They had had already the first East German astronaut. And in 1980, Theo and I were given the opportunity of visiting an observatory which was in the town where Theo lived. Uh, it was named after the first East, Euron, East uh, German astronaut and it was used for studying of the universe, for tracking satellites and for teaching astronomy. Now, Theona and I were very impressed by this. I'd uh, never had the opportunity of uh, seeing anything like that before. Um, and to be able to have some glimpse of the wonders of the stars and the planets, it was something which we were very moved by. And at the end of the tour, we were sitting down with our uh, hosts who had taken us round, and uh, uh, they said to us, well, what did you think of all this? And I was very uh, moved to hear that um, Theo said to his atheist hearers, well, you know, our Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the stars proclaim the work of his hands. Now, I'd been thinking about that text as I was going round, but I wasn't going to open my mouth in that circumstance. But he was somebody who knew that this was something he wanted to do to show where he stood in relation to the creator God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see he had some boldness in that situation despite many of the problems that he was facing. We're going to look at this subject of boldness this evening and particularly prayer for boldness as it's found in Acts chapter 4 and these verses 21, 23 to 31. We are having a short series on the matter of prayer from the book of Acts last Sunday we looked at the subject of prayer for guidance next Sunday evening at prayer for Christians in trouble and this evening prayer for boldness. 
Now, as Jill has already explained, many of us don't feel very bold, and it's not something that we have as part of our natural character. And many of us are not very happy about the way in which we pray, and we're not very good at praying for things which don't come to us naturally. So it's something which I think can teach us a great deal this evening, and we're going to look at this prayer under three headings. And the first thing we're going to notice about this prayer is that it's an urgent prayer. It arose out of quite a desperate situation that Peter and John were uh, put into in the story here. We had read to us from verse 13, but earlier you'll see in chapter 3 how that Peter and John have healed this crippled beggar and the dramatic impact that had upon the people. But there's a clear threat now to Peter and John because of what they had done. In chapter 4, verse 2, you'll see that they were greatly disturbed, that the Jewish leaders were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. It doesn't get much more threatening to be put in jail in a place where uh, there wasn't a great deal of uh, justice in the system. Well, it was interesting that the next day they had to decide what to do, and in verse 16 you will see their discussion. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone knows, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading, see, that's what they wanted to do. To stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And in verse 21, there's reference to further threats. So, Peter and John are released back to their Christian friends. Peter and John would remember that Jesus had warned them that if they were to stand up for him, they were going to face opposition. And now it hits them very straightly and very strongly with being in prison and now threats from the very people who had crucified the Lord Jesus. But if they had a clear threat, they also had a clear duty. Because look at how they respond immediately in verse 19. But, despite what they've been told, but... Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They knew Jesus was alive. They'd seen him. They'd heard him. They'd experienced his reality. We cannot but speak about him. And so they really had this desire to make him known. If you look back at chapter 3, when they're explaining what had been going on with the healing of this man, in chapter 3, verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We may not all be gifted as great evangelists, but we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made whole. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you now can all see. 
It's this sense of, of duty that they have, which is driving them in what they do. If you turn over to chapter 5, you will see in a later occasion when they've been put in prison once more, in verses 27 uh, to 29, uh, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. That principle has been the principle that has led God's people down the centuries. We must obey God rather than men. Despite the clear threats, they had a clear duty. And so they left us with a clear example. We do not face threats from Jewish leaders. But we do have a good deal of opposition to our Christian witness in our own generation. The same devil that stirred up opposition to Jesus has stirred up opposition to his people and used a great variety of means down the years. In our generation we have what is being called militant atheism. We have these clever scientists who believe they can explain this wonderful universe of gods as being the result of some, well, they don't know what. And so they had their speculation of what could have possibly begun the wonderful universe of which we are part. But these people in their uh, militancy are affecting the whole of the educational system, so it's exceedingly difficult and often oppressive for Christian from children from Christian parents to say in their own school amongst their own teachers that they believe that God made the world and the universe and we who live in it. And we know that when uh, Christian students go to university, they're laughed at if they retain many of these uh, old-fashioned ideas which soon we will uh, grow out of. These kind of things are a pressure which we face in our witness. And then there's the the pressure of sheer materialism and money. It's very sad, isn't it, at a time like this when we are trying to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, to find that the commercialism which has surrounded this has become so strong and so oppressive that it's squeezing out everything. You don't buy Christmas cards with Happy Christmas on. It's now season's greetings. And have you seen how the supermarkets are whinging about the fact they will only have six hours to take your money on the Sunday before Christmas when they want to have so much more because it's, the, the, the world is pressing to have more opportunities to spend their money, isn't it? And this materialism is something which we meet all the time. And then, of course, there are moral challenges to Christian faith. For young people going out into the world today, the culture of alcohol and sex and enjoying themselves is presenting very real challenges to them. Don't think that because we're not living in the days that uh, Peter and John were living in, that Christians do not have conflicts and difficulties. There is urgency because we too have 
these threats against us, but we have a duty to speak in the name of Jesus. That's what brought these men to prayer. And that's why their urgent prayer is going to be something helpful to us. But I want to move on now to the fact that what you will find at the end of our reading in verse 31 is that it was an effective prayer. Praying as they did, it worked. What do we read? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken physically. God is saying something's happening here. What was happening? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice, please, that this boldness that we're looking at here is not something which is in their nature. Yes, there are some people who are quiet by nature. There are some people, as we've heard uh, already, that are loud by nature. This is not saying that some people are loud and other people are quiet. It's not even saying that some people have been taught how to be clever and some aren't. If you look at, at what we read here in verse 13 of this chapter, the first verse that was read, when they saw the courage, and that's the same Greek word as we have boldness, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. See their boldness was not because of their education or because of their special gifts. It is something spiritual. So it wasn't just some of them, but all of them who were filled with the whole Holy Spirit. This is an experience of God in their own lives. You do know, of course, that this word filled mustn't make us think that the Holy Spirit is some kind of liquid that can fill a jar. It's a person who can become so dominant in our lives that all that he represents becomes what we represent. So the Lord Jesus Christ, who is glorified by the Holy Spirit, is glorified in our lives. His priorities, his truth, his love, his zeal, the things that are true of God in Jesus are made ours by the Holy Spirit. You also need to notice, in case you hadn't seen this, that this is not, as some Christians try to tell us, a once-off experience. It's not something that happens to you after you become a Christian by going to a convention or reading a book and then you're lifted onto a higher plane of Christian life forever. Please turn back, will you, to chapter 2 and verse 4. What do we find here? On the day of Pentecost, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, these are the same people we're talking about here. And in chapter 4 and verse 8, when then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's, in chapter 2, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 8, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, in chapter 4, verse 31, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a once-off thing. It happens from time to time in the dimension and to the extent 
that the language that's used is appropriate for them being filled with the Spirit of God. But there's one other scripture that you must look at before we move from this point. It's in Ephesians and it's in chapter 5. Will you please turn to that? Ephesians and chapter 5. It's verse 18. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing about the way in which they should make most of every opportunity to serve the Lord. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the tense of the verb in that text is a continuous tense. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something which we constantly need because we cannot live our life as Christians in witnessing for him without the Spirit. And so it's the Spirit we need, it's the Spirit we must be asking for, and it's the Spirit who is granted here to them as they pray and as the Spirit comes to them. What does it mean they do? Well, they did speak about Jesus. The effect of the Holy Spirit is the exaltation of the word of God. Despite the threats that have been made against them, look at verse 33 of this chapter, chapter 4, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Or again in chapter 5 and verse 28, this testimony that the enemies made of the fact that you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Because they had been filled with the Spirit, because they had prayed and God had answered them, they continued to speak about Jesus. Now, have you ever thought, what would have happened if they hadn't? What would happen to the Christian church if Peter and John said, this is too tough for us, we've been in prison once, they're going to put us in prison again, the best thing is for us to go quiet and leave it for a while and then say nothing. What would have happened to the Christian church? It would have been a triumph for the Jewish leaders. It would have been a disaster for the growth of church. It would be like strangling this infant church soon after its birth. But this is God's work. This is what God is doing. This is the work of his Holy Spirit. And so, God's love is to reach all nations. And they were not to be frustrated by any other problems that they were to face. God shows he was on their side. We haven't got time to go into this in detail, but if you look at at chapter 5, you'll see that when they're put in prison for a second time, in chapter 5 and verse 18, they arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail, but during the night, God said, enough of this, I'll get them out. An angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said. The angel saying to them, go and tell the people the full message of this new life. You see, when they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke about Jesus. And what's more, they did it with boldness. This word bold that we have in our text occurs ten times in the book of Acts. It's sometimes 
translated courage, and sometimes confidence, and sometimes boldness. Originally, it's a word that had to do with Greek democracy, where they used to have their uh, councils in every town to decide what they would do, and there were some citizens who had the freedom to speak. That's the word that was used. They were free to speak. But it also is used to mean speaking frankly. That's not hiding anything, but being open about the truth. It also is used to mean not speaking secretly, but speaking in a public space, public place, openly. It certainly means courageously, when despite authorities against them, they were willing to speak. There's an interesting little reference in Ephesians 6, where uh, having spoken to the, uh, written to the Christians about what they ought to do, Paul is saying in Ephesians 6, towards the end of verse 19, pray also for me, that when I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so that I will speak fearlessly. That's the same word. I will speak fearlessly. Make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. They should have done it, and they did do it because they had the grace of God given to them by the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? Well, the result is very effective indeed. Look at chapter 5 and verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Or chapter 5 and verse 41 and 42, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So here is an urgent prayer. Here is an effective prayer. So, what we've got to look at now is how it is a model prayer. What is it going to teach us about how to pray? As I say, few of us are satisfied with how we pray, and few of us are satisfied with how boldly we testify. What can we learn then from this prayer? There are four aspects of this prayer I just want to mention to you. First of all, that they prayed together. That's here in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. This is the same together word as Neil referred to last week in Acts chapter 1. It means people coming together to pray, what we sometimes call corporate prayer. Yes, there is personal prayer, there is secret prayer, but there is also just a thing as corporate prayer, where people, the people of God share together. Right in the beginning of the, of the story of the church, in Acts chapter 2, we read that, he, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now it says in our text here, they all met together in prayer. How many of them were there? Well, we didn't have a chance to read all of it, but look at chapter 4 and verse 4. Had you noticed this? Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. What a prayer meeting! Well, it probably doesn't mean that all the 5,000 were there, but certainly there was a good group of people there praying together. And this is what gives strength and additional strength to the prayers of individual people. Now, we can pray with each other, can't we? It's never been easier for us to communicate prayer needs to each other. A week ago, I had an email from a fellow Christian that I know well about a crisis that happened when his father had been taken into hospital. This week, I had a telephone call from one of the members of our home group about uh, some news she'd had from the doctor about her condition. We can share things with one another so that we can pray for each other. That's easy. But we also have, as a church, times when we call people together to pray. And, as far as we are concerned as a church, it's fortnightly, on a Thursday, we meet for corporate prayer. And that's something which is important. It's important here. This is the very first lesson out of this urgent, effective prayer is that it was corporate. It was people praying together. So do we do this? Do we make this a priority? Is this something that's important to us? If you do come on a Thursday to pray, will you please, please look at what it says here in verse 24 of Acts 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. They raised their voices. My brothers and sisters, I have a hearing problem which I'm glad to have assisted by technical means. But sometimes I wonder why I come to the prayer meeting on Thursdays because I cannot hear you pray. You see, it's not the same as private prayer. If in private it helps you to bow your head and to hide your face, do it at home. But when you come together to pray, please, please, pray raising your voices to God. We have no need to be ashamed of what we pray. We don't need to think we're being judged for our grammar. We ought to have boldness in prayer. In fact, we're told that in Ephesians, in Hebrews 4, aren't we? We're told definitely in Hebrews chapter 4. What does it say here? Let us approach the throne of grace with Confidence, that's the same word, boldness. So that we may find, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The first way in which this prayer is a model is as a model of praying corporately together and praying loud enough. Then we must move on. What is the order of the way in which they pray? The first thing they do in their prayers is to look to God. You may say to yourself when you read, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What on earth has that got to do with the threats from these Jewish leaders? It has everything to do with it. 
Because it's a reminder that the first thing we must do when we pray is look to God. It's everywhere in the Bible. Isn't it true that when the disciples said, teach us to pray, Jesus taught them to pray, starting, our Father who is in heaven. We must look to God first. This is something which we really need to get hold of. We don't start with our needs. We don't start with the threats against us. We don't even start with our own attitude and our own devotion. You know the difference between subjective and objective. Subjective is ourselves. Objective is something out there. We start when we pray with the objective reality of the God to whom we come. That's where our prayer must start. And whether it's in the pulpit on a Sunday, whether it's at home on your own, whether it's when we meet together, it's something which matters to begin with God. Now I've given you a little help to that. Before you came this evening, you were given one of these. This is a quotation from the Bible and it gives you some verses from 1 Chronicles 29. It doesn't matter so much where it comes from. What matters is that this is how David prayed on this occasion. Praise be to you, Lord. He starts by looking to God. Who is God? The God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Put that in your Bible now. And when you want to pray, whether it's at home or whether it's on Thursday night in the prayer meeting, or whether it's in your home group, get it out and read it first. Half a minute it takes you to read it. Half a minute to add to the time of your prayer. But what are you doing? You're getting your priorities right. You're getting your perspectives right. You're starting the way prayer should start, by looking, first of all, to God. Put it in your Bible now, and don't forget it. What did they do next? Well, you can see here, the next thing they did was to look to Scripture. They quote from Psalm number 2. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. The reason why they did this is because they can now see what's happening in the light of God and his plan. This isn't a new thing that's happening because they're being threatened. It had happened all through the centuries. It had happened, as they point out here, when Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus. But why is all this important? Well, from these scriptures, they learn something. In verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided before should happen. Before they ask anything, 
They're saying, we can see this now from who God is, from what his word says, we can see it's part of a pattern of God's plan. Before they're even asking about their need, they're finding from scripture how it all fits in. That's why we should listen to preaching. That's why we should listen to as much preaching as we can. That's why we should read our Bibles before we pray. However little time you have, just to read a verse or two before we pray. That's why we should come to home groups. And in our home groups be concerned, not about everybody's bad legs, yes, we do have to pray about those, but about the Bible and what it means to us and how we see ourselves in the light of God's plan, what he has prepared to do. Scripture, before we pray, is vital. Only then did they look for the boldness that they needed. Now, Lord, verse 29, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I could spend a lot of time on this. They actually asked God exactly what they wanted. They didn't go around the subject. They didn't speak generally about, Lord, bless us. They didn't mince words. They said, we are under threat. What we need is to be bold. Lord, give us the boldest we need. God knows what you need anyway. God is so wonderful. He knows us. He knows our circumstance. He knows our threats. And we must pray for him then to give us what we need. They didn't ask for the removal of the problem. They asked for the grace and strength to cope with it. And that's the lesson, isn't it? When we do have problems, we ought them solved yesterday. Sometimes God is saying, this problem is going to remain. These same men who prayed this were in prison the next day. God didn't take their problems away. But we've already seen. He gave them the boldest they need and as a result, the Christian church went on from strength to strength. Come then to three closing questions. Three questions to close. First of all, do we want bold preaching? It's up to us. Do we want bold preaching? You see, what's happened in our generation is that we're so concerned that we don't want to offend anybody that you'll find that some churches, although they say they're preaching the Bible, the things that they're preaching from the Bible are always the easy bits to make people feel comfortable so that nobody should be in the least offended and put off. The last thing you want to do is to put them off so they won't come again next week if they come for the first time. But the gospel has some straight things to say, doesn't it? Before the good news of what Jesus did on the cross is the bad news that we're all sinners. People don't like being told that. Before the good news of all the promise of heaven is the reality of the possibility of God's wrath and anger leading people to damnation and to hell. Jesus said, this hell is eternal. 
It goes on and on and on. These are not nice things to have to say. Jesus says, and the Bible affirms it everywhere, that there is only one way for people to be saved, and that is through Jesus. All the other ways, every one of them, is a lie of the devil. And people don't like hearing that. What are we going to do then? Are we going to say, I'd rather you left out the hard bits. Just leave it for a while. And somehow, people may get to pick that up later on. Am I going to leave you to drift on into eternal damnation without Christ? Or am I going to say to you, you need to repent and turn to Jesus. His power is dynamic and life-changing. His love is incredible and amazing what he will do for you. But the first thing is, the boldness of preaching the truth is essential if we're going to see souls saved and the church built. We don't go to the ends of the earth with a missionary message that says, everything's all right for you, dear people here. All you need is a little bit of civilization that Christian culture can give you. We go to the ends of the earth with a message that says, there is only one way of salvation, and that's through Jesus. Do you want bold preaching? Hang on to that then. Do you want bold witnessing? That's the other question. Are we ready to be bold enough to be seen in our friend's eyes sometimes to be a bit of a freak? An extremist? Someone who's unsociable? Are we prepared to speak about Jesus even if people don't like it? I've got something to show you. It's one of the Christmas leaflets. Now, what do you think is going to be most helpful? For that to be picked up off the mat? Or for somebody to find it in the hands of a friendly face who's saying to them, don't come on Sunday to our service so that you can eat mince pies, but come so you can meet Jesus, because he's done so much for me that this is where you'll hear about him, and he can change your life for now and for eternity. What's going to be better? That kind of boldness? Or saying, slip it under the mat and hope they don't even look at it? Do we want to be bold? We don't have to be shouting. We don't have to be, as we've heard already tonight, people with particular gifts. What we do need is to be moved by the Holy Spirit to speak about the Lord Jesus. If you say, yes, we want bold preaching, if you say, yes, we want bold witnessing, then here is the third question. What plans are we going to make to pray together? What plans are we going to make? We're all going to be frantically busy this week, but there's a prayer meeting on Thursday night. It is a corporate prayer meeting. It's a prayer when we call people to come together. We're going to have a very busy year, aren't we? We're going to have all the transition and upheaval of the rebuilding program. We're going to have all kinds of things to put in our diaries we didn't have before. Are we going to mark in our diaries every other Thursday? It's the prayer meeting at the church. This boldness producing this effective testimony from these men was the result of corporate prayer. 
If you want bold preaching, you must come and pray for the preacher. If you want bold witnessing, you must come and pray that we may be given something we don't have by nature, the courage and openness to speak to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Only you can answer those questions. Do you want bold preaching? Do you want bold witnessing? Then what are we going to do about making sure we pray together? I'll leave you to answer.